While 2020 has seen a number of parades and celebrations canceled due to the COVID-19 pandemic, there's one parade that's continuing on as scheduled, and that's the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics podcast coverage of Prince and the Revolution's Parade album. Kicking off this celebration is the album's opening track, Christopher Tracy's Parade. And I have the pleasure of speaking again with my co-host for this episode, Julian Long. Welcome back to the show, Julian. Thanks so much for having me, Jason. I'm really excited about this one. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, always a pleasure to have you on the show. So Christopher Tracy's Parade, first song off of the Parade album, which is like the de facto soundtrack to the, the movie Under the Cherry Moon, which came out in 86. Do you have any special memories of this song or this album in particular? I mean, is this a, is this kind of a, um, a groundbreaking Prince release for you? Do you have any special memories that you wanted to share with the audience? Yeah, for sure. So this was, <laughs> this was a part of the collection of music that got me in debt to Columbia House for the first time. Um, <laughs> if you remember way back in the day, Columbia House would have that you can get X number of tapes for one cent. And oh, yeah. this was one of the tapes that I got during that. Now, the only thing, the thing about, uh, the thing about parade versus my experiences with some of Prince's other music was this is among, uh, I think, I think there were three albums that I didn't experience in real time. So I didn't discover or understand parade in the context of, of, uh, Prince's discography until finding it after 86. So it was like 90 something when I first, um, when I first got into parade and it was, it was kind of weird because of course, you know, the hit songs like kiss and mountains had, had, you know, bubbled up. And even if you didn't know the parade album had happened, you knew that those Prince songs existed. Um, but being able to experience it from the top down, it was one of the own, it was the, one of the first Prince albums that I experienced on my own. Um, before my cousins had been responsible for introducing me to Prince. And so when I started, you know, having my own pocket money and getting, getting music for myself, um, and really looking into figuring out what else I liked, I picked this up because, oh, okay, I know I like Prince and let me see what this one is. Knew it had been out there, but just didn't really know what was on it. And so I feel a little bit more ownership of my love for the songs on parade than I do even for purple rain and even for, um, around the world in a day, which, you know, I bought that one on cassette, uh, at Kmart. I think I told you that one, but I was mm -hmm. doing that because my cousins told me to like Prince. So I bought the Prince album and I, I knew, <laughs> I knew that this was a big deal and I wanted to, but this one was more like I was starting to cultivate and craft my own taste in music around here. And so what was really cool for me is that on Parade, most of my favorite songs are not the big songs. I mean, of course I love Kiss, but the songs that really speak to me off of Parade are songs like I Wonder You and um, well, Under the Cherry Moon was kind of a big song. But I Wonder You and and Life Can Be So Nice and and this song that we're talking about today, Christopher Tracy's Parade. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, I definitely remember the Columbia House uh, and it was Columbia House and BMG, and I would do, they both had their own little music clubs, and you can essentially follow the same format of doing one, you know, buying a tape or a CD, and then getting, I don't know, 10 or 12 free, quote-unquote right. free 
and, and they actually, it was a good deal. It, it really it legitimately was a good deal because then they were hoping they were banking on people not quitting or as soon as they got all of their free music <laughs> and then, right. um, they would be sent this, this album every month. And if you kept it, you had to pay for it or you could ship it back. And they probably just assumed most people would take the lazy r- way out and just keep the record and pay for it. And of course exactly. their prices, yeah, their prices were a little higher than store prices. So they, they made money off of that. And, um, but you know, I, I obviously I was, I was milking the system for what it was for everything it was worth. I would join, get my 12 free with my one purchase, normal price purchase, quit, you know, give it another two or three months. And then I join again and they never had like a checks and balances system to make right. sure people weren't joining and quitting and joining and quitting over and over and over again. What they did have when, what I remember, and this is what got me in trouble was there was a rule that you had to accept a certain number of the monthly releases. That's mm-hmm. what got me in trouble was because it was like, I didn't, I th- that, and of course being too lazy to ship them back because you, <laughs> you had to let them know in advance. They would send you a little card and it's like, here's what your monthly title is going to be. And it's like, Oh, I don't want that one. And you'd have to send that back. And I would forget. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was, middle school, early high school. And I wasn't thinking about that kind of stuff. And then one day it piles up and you're like, holy crap. Yep. That's what um, they're banking on, man. That's, that's exactly. exactly what their strategy was. Yes. <laughs> yep. So you said this was the, you, you got um, prayed in the nineties. I got this. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. I, I want to remember the exact year. I remember I remember the house we lived in. I remember being in my room and I remember that I carried around tapes. Like my mom used to have these Bible on cassette things and I took out like the book of Luke and I put all my favorite tapes in it and carried it around in this little this little um, weird tape case. And so it had to have been, I want to say, 92 when this became like when when I when I got this album on my own. And I didn't do CDs until closer to 95. I think maybe the next year was when I decided to start getting CDs. Yeah, that's kind of like a lot of people, unless you were really in the know and you were a techie or whatever and had the money, most people didn't really start buying CDs fairly regularly until the 90s, even though they had been around since the mid-80s. But, I mean, for me personally, I, I didn't get my first CD into like 91, 92 and even then I was still kind of buying tapes because tapes were generally a little bit cheaper. So right. I wasn't, you know, I was still in high school and I didn't have a shit ton of money. So I was like, all right, well, I don't really know that much about this album. It's not, I mean, do I want to risk spending the extra five bucks for the CD or do I just get the tape? And most of the time I got the tape unless it was an artist or a musician or somebody that I knew I was going to really dig. Or I had heard it before. I'm like, yes, I love this album. I'm getting the CD. And, um, but yeah, for the most part, it was tapes, tapes, tapes. If I'm not mistaken, the first CD that I bought was I bought Diamonds and Pearls at the Galleria Mall in Louisville, Kentucky. I bought Diamonds and Pearls because I wanted to make sure I got it while you could still get the one with the holographic cover. And I did not yet have a CD player yet. So I don't remember what year Diamonds and Pearls came out, but 91. Okay, so I bought, so then, yeah, so then I guess it was 90, 90 when I picked this up. Hmm, okay. Yeah, and by, by the time 90 had rolled around, Prince had already released, like, three other albums after Parade because, you know. Right. 
that's what he does. You know, he'd already gone <laughs> sign of the times and love sexy and Batman. And he's probably already had graffiti bridge out by that time. Right. And this is one of the ones like it just kind of was lost in the mix for me because I absolutely had Batman. Um, and went ran through all of that sign of the times. My cousins introduced me to, but I was not ready for it. Um, so yeah, this one, this one, by the time I was listening to it, I was discovering it the way I would come to interpret Prince. And that's, that's part of the thing that makes this pretty cool for me. This and, um, love sexy was another one that I found out of time, but fell in love with on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, fun fact, my very first CD was Tupacalypse Now by Tupac. Seriously? <laughs> yep. Nice. Yep. That was the very first CD I bought. And honestly, it was on a whim because, you know, his debut album, it wasn't even like huge or anything. I, I knew he was part of, I saw him as part of Digital Underground and he had like a, a verse on a song called Same Song, I think. Yep. That was his first verse ever. Yeah, right. And then uh, just off the strength of that and kind of the hype that he was starting to build up around his own material. He had a song on UMTV Raps called, I think, Brenda's Got a Baby or something like that. Yep. And um, yeah, so I'm just like, all right, I'm going to I'm going to roll the dice. And my very first CD purchase was a fairly unknown or um, unproven artist, which kind of flies against the the theories that I was explaining earlier. Like I only bought a CD if it was somebody that I, <laughs> that I was well versed on or knew for a fact it was going to be good. I'm like, um, I don't have no idea if this is going to be good or not, but I'm buying it anyway. So I did. It's a good one to have. <laughs> yeah. In retrospect, right. <laughs> it was kind of a gamble at the time though. All right. Um, so that's a little bit of a tangent, but let's get back to Christopher Tracy's parade. Okay. So, bit of housekeeping this song was recorded in april april 17th 1985 according to prince fault which is notable because it's only five days before the release of around the world in a day so it's like uh, the timelines of prince's music and his albums are just so jumbled because he's recording songs for his next album before his previous album was even released and that is you know that's a fairly common recurring theme with his stuff especially in the 80s and maybe throughout but i haven't delved that far into it yet because i haven't done the research but with his 80s stuff he's consistently recording music for albums um in the future before his existing and current album hasn't even hit stores yet it's so five days before around the world in a day is released he's recording this suite of songs that basically kick off the parade album you've got Christopher Tracy's Parade, and you've got uh, New Position, I Wonder You, and Under the Cherry Moon, which, when you're listening to the Parade album, they're, they basically all blend into each other. They use, like, the same drum track. Um, I mean, it's not identical, but it's it's essentially the same um, drum track that is then manipulated and changed speeds or, you know, whatever he has to do to make it fairly unique, but... You can you can tell there's that there's that common thread between all of those songs, and they were I guess recorded all in one take, at this you know on this uh, April seventeenth recording at in Sunset Sound, Sound Studios in California, which is fascinating to me that this was done this way. Um, did you? I mean, I, obviously listening to Parade, you can hear the similarities between 
the you know the drum beats on these oh, four oh, songs. But did you know that they were all kind of recorded um, simultaneously or you know right there consecutively? Had no idea actually. It doesn't surprise me, but didn't know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just it's it's a really kind of fascinating thing that he did with that. He just I don't even know that really the motivations behind it other than he just liked what he was doing and he just wanted to keep doing it and thought it would sound cool because it does. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It sounds really cool on the final product. Um, another thing I wanted to bring up is that this song at that time in, in April of 85 was known as a uh, little girl Wendy's parade. So, oh. yeah. So, you know, Wendy as in Wendy Melvoin from the revolution, you know, the guitarist and, as we go through the lyrics, there's going to be a line towards the end of this in the second verse, basically of the song where the lyrics were switched to fit the narrative. Well, not really the narrative, but at least to fit the, the character of Christopher Tracy, which is Prince's character in under the cherry moon. But if you go back to the original version where it was little girl, Wendy's parade, the, the rhyme pattern fits much better with those lyrics in place and uh we'll, we'll touch on that later but it's just one of those kind of you know the origins and the genesis of this song and how it evolved to fit the need of being a soundtrack song so little girl wendy's parade and there's a version of that out there maybe someday when we get a parade deluxe edition we'll get like that version of the song which is essentially the exact same song as we ended up getting with the lyrics changed slightly and the orchestration removed because at that point he had not um, worked with Claire Fisher to get all of the orchestra and orchestral arrangements that make the song pretty unique and then very memorable in my mind. And yeah. uh, I want to touch on that a little bit with you. So this song is kind of, it, it, it's the opening song and it, it, essentially serves as like an intro or an introduction in the same way like a Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band does for that concept album. I don't know if Parade is a concept album so much as it is a collection of songs with some of them fitting a narrative to the film and some of them just fitting like uh, a sound and, and matching the kind of sound and style that the film kind of portrays visually. So with that, did did having this orchestra kind of or they like these orchestral arrangements, elaborate orchestral arrangements kind of throw you off a little bit when you first heard it. Or what was your thoughts on that? It didn't throw me off because remember, like I said, like I was experiencing this out of time. So mm-hmm. by the time I like when, like I said, when I got parade, I was like, Oh, this is the album that had kiss on it. So I didn't have any real expectations and I don't remember if I heard uh, Love Sexy before I heard Parade or around probably about the same time. I probably picked them up both around that same time. But it didn't throw me off. What it did was it made Parade seem much grander. Everything on Parade seemed bigger. And especially um, Christopher Tracy's Parade. Like it had a feel for me like... um well, I mean, one, obviously like a parade, like it felt kind of carnivalesque in its sound, but it also had this. Uh, do you remember when going to the movies was a big deal or when watching 
when watching a, a movie come on HBO was a big deal and it had these oh, yeah. grand entrances like that. Yeah. And when, and when you would go to the movies, if it was a tri-star film that sort of, and like the big triangle would come up in the, it would have this grand rising. It felt like going to the movies, mm-hmm. which is funny for me because I didn't have the relationship with the film. I remember my my cousins trying to get me into it, trying to like, it didn't appeal to me. It was, you know, okay, Prince made a weird black and white movie. And it, I don't recall, you know, it's, it's theatrical release being particularly long lived. Um, <laughs> I cared more about, I cared more about Graffiti Bridge when Graffiti Bridge hit. That felt like a movie I had to see, but this didn't, didn't, I, I did not associate this album and and that movie. So for it to have this sort of grand movie like presence for me, um, it's it's kind of funny because I I I don't even know if I thought of the two as connected at the time. Um, but it it did feel big. Um, mountains also felt really big for some reason, maybe because they were talking about mountains. But it had overall it not just the orchestration, but the album in total kind of went a bunch of different places. Yeah. Um, it never, it didn't feel like any one thing except for by then what I had come to, to say, this is what Prince is. And it wasn't until, you know, like I said later that I could give it kind of context and make it make sense, but didn't throw me just felt like that's what he was doing today. Yeah. You're absolutely right. The sound is huge. I mean, it's a huge sound. I mean, the drum comes in hard as nails, which you think this is going to be like this really kind of funk track. But then you've got the the orchestra coming in right behind it. And you've got all of these instruments that swell up and and and, prov- and provide and kind of try to evoke like this certain feeling of jubilation and joy and a, essentially a celebration, which the lyrics are intending as soon as we get to the lyrics, we'll kind of um, express that as well, that this is supposed to be a celebration of sorts. And it's also an introduction. It's an introduction to the character of Christopher Tracy. And in its placement in the film, um, it does it does do that as well. You're kind of introduced to Prince's character through the song, the sound of this song playing in the background. And, uh, and that's exactly what it's meant to do. I don't have no idea what it was intended to do as little girl Wendy's guitar. I don't know what Prince's thoughts were on that and what he had intended for it. If, if under the cherry moon was never a thing, but all I know is that what it does is it's like the perfect opening track for this album. And like you, I never had any connection to this record with the movie either. I didn't see under the cherry moon until I was an adult and uh it was one of those things like like you i kind of dismissed it it looked a little different and it wasn't it wasn't purple rain let's just put it that way right <laughs> which i was enamored with purple rain the film the soundtrack everything about it and so for him to go in, in, in my mind you know to complete 180 black and white period piece it's not about you know music it's more it has a you know a different kind of story behind it and I just didn't, I didn't dig it. And uh, it just didn't seem interesting enough to me to warrant um, a watch. And which is kind of weird because 
shortly after that, it was, you know, the VHS era and you could go rent movies. And like, I don't even know why I didn't even bother renting it. Like I just completely dismissed it as something I wasn't interested in. Well, then for a while it disappeared. Like there was a good chunk of, I think like five to 10 years where I was looking for that thing and could not find it. And I remember I eventually found, I found a DVD copy that had a gray cover. And then maybe three years after that, it came out on DVD with a purple cover. And I was like, that's crazy. Like now it seemed like it was just so easy to find. But I was under the impression that at some point Prince was like, no one must know I made this movie. <laughs> it just, it, it was like a ghost. And I kept, by the time I, you know, had matured enough to say, I want to dig into that. I kind of want to see what that was. It wasn't anywhere and it drove me nuts. Yeah. Yeah. That would be frustrating. Like it was, it was everywhere when you didn't want to watch it and now it's nowhere now that you do. Right. Yep. Yep. And another thing that's kind of interesting about this song is Prince had a habit of, at least at the time of using the first song on an album to kind of be the title track. Yeah, okay, there were deviations from that. Obviously, Purple Rain is the last song on the album, but most of the his entire discography leading up to this, the opening track is is the title song for his album, with the exception, of course, of his self-titled Prince album. And this is the only song on the track listing that uses the word parade in it. Right. So I don't know why it wasn't just called the Under the Cherry Moon soundtrack. I, I'm not sure why that decision was made to call this album Parade, even though it was the soundtrack to Under the Cherry Moon. Don't know. Uh, if anybody knows why, then I'd be interested to know. But that also didn't help, you know, the disconnect that was experienced by those of us between the album and the film, the fact that they didn't share the same name. He didn't do that with Graffiti Bridge. He didn't do that with Sign of the Times. He didn't do that right. with Purple Rain. So why was there a disconnect with the album's title and the movie soundtrack that it was derived from? I don't know. But it certainly didn't help make the connection for some of us who wasn't sure. Like, okay, was the Under the Cherry Moon soundtrack different than Parade? I remember thinking that at the time or at least shortly after. Like, I thought maybe there was two different albums. Right. I just, yeah, I just didn't know. And, um... And so this is kind of like the title song in like the same way, maybe like uh, gold is the title song to the gold experience. It's not identical, but it, it, it serves the same purpose. It has the same kind of um, point or its existence is to serve as kind of like the, you know, the exclamation point for gold. And for this is like the intro and it's, and it's a great introduction song. I mean, it, it really is. Yeah, it certainly sets the tone for the album, or at least sets the tone for this this suite of songs that starts off the record. And uh, I also wanted to point out that um, John L. Nelson, Prince's father, is credited as a co-writer. He's, he's I had seen that. Songs. Yeah. I, and it made me wonder so much about, um, you know, how Prince first came upon the song. Is it something that he discovered later? Because um, his father had passed by then, right? Oh, not not in '86. His father didn't pass for another. Oh, okay. His, okay. Yeah, his dad was still alive, but uh, from my understanding, there wasn't like a collaboration where Prince and his father were in the studio together creating this music. Um, I figured it I'm was gonna actually some of his dad's that he found and was just like, "I'm gonna make this into a song." 
Yeah, yeah. That I think that's kind of the general thought of what happened because you know obviously his dad was a musician and I'm sure Prince had heard, you know, when he was living with him, bits and pieces of music that John L was creating, and you know at that time of his life he was an impressionable kid still kind of soaking everything up and soaking everything that you're you know you're kind of your idol your musician father is doing and a lot of that is going to stay with him and stick with with a, a kid throughout his life my guess is it'd be there's something in this song that john l had created himself and prince remembered that or thought that that was a really kind of uh, striking composition or at least note or something. And he decided to expand that into an entire song and essentially um, give his father co-writing credit for that. I mean, that's the right thing to do. And so that's what he did. And uh, I just wanted to um, highlight. uh, So I read um, Prince biographies quite often. And one of biographies that I've read over the years is, a book called Prince, The Man and His Music by author Matt Thorne. And talking about this song and John L's contribution, you know, it's, it is still unclear. There's no definitive, Prince never gave a definitive answer as far as what the contributions were, but it is um, kindly, kind of widely accepted amongst those who were close with Prince that it was something that he remembered from his childhood and something John L was playing on the piano that uh, Prince then took and turned into this track, the basis of at least. So I think our theories are fairly sound. That seems to be the most logical explanation for a co-writing credit for the song. I have a, an off, off, off this topic question, but I didn't want to forget it. With regard to the disconnect between Parade and the movie Under the Cherry Moon, because it wasn't called the soundtrack too. Do you think that that disconnect hurt the movie or do you think it helped the album? Because the movie wasn't really beloved and would people have picked up the album if they just thought of it as the soundtrack to a movie they didn't care about or had the had the strength of the album had it had it been called the soundtrack to under the cherry moon would the strength of the album have buoyed the movie? What do you think? Ooh, that's a nice, that's a, that's a really interesting question and a nice debate topic one could pose on the internet and you'd probably get a a ton of different (laughs) answers. Me personally, I think it was, I think it benefited the album. I do too. Um, I think it benefited the album because the music on it and, and generally it was, it was well received. It wasn't, it wasn't one of those that was, um, kind of, uh, derided in its time but then over time became well loved it was well loved from from the jump i mean it was it was well received it was well reviewed uh, it sold decent you know not not purple rain numbers but nothing ever sold purple rain numbers again in his career but right. it still went platinum i believe it did and um you know kiss was the number one hit and there was saw and kiss had nothing i mean yeah it was a little bit in the movie but there was the music video for kiss did not feature clips from the film. It seemed like its own thing. Right. And in the success of that song and the fact that this wasn't called under the cherry moon soundtrack, I think ultimately helped the sales of the album. I mean, 
music reviews aren't they should be just like looking at this as its own thing and have nothing to do with the, the movie anyway but in the minds of the the buying public you know that kind of decision is weighted like is this something i want to buy is this to your point you know a soundtrack to a film that i don't have any interest in or that was panned by the critics do i want to spend my hard-earned money on that i don't know maybe i'll just buy the kiss single and call it good so right. i think it i think it helped personally but you know you can get um, a different opinion on that for sure if you ask <laughs> another 10 people you'd get probably 50 50 if i had to guess because I can see it both ways. I think I think though the it's it's pretty common in and I'm sort of hazarding a guess as to why it wasn't called the soundtrack under the cherry moon. It's pretty common in the music industry like whatever you did that was the biggest hit last time do more of that. And so for he followed he followed Purple Rain with Around the World in a Day which didn't do great critically. It it's one of those albums that did have to you know people had to come to love it later mm-hmm. um and now he's got i'm guessing that that warner music is listening to this new album and it's fantastic and they they can feel the hits they can smell the money on its way and they're looking at the movie and the movie is breaking the same rule that the last album that he did broke you had a hit movie make more of that but instead you're doing this weird artsy black and white thing period piece like what even is this we don't know how to market it i'm willing to bet that warner had a lot to do with trying to separate those titles mm-hmm. because it it seems to me like there's just it it he he had a a formula for a, a hit recipe and deviated from it completely as, as artists are wont to do but Warner still had what they had to have known was going to be another sizzling album. And I'm, I'm betting that they were the ones who said, nah, we can't, we will, we'll call it parade. Um, and I mean, as much control as I don't know how much control Prince had at that time, but I think they were trying to save the album because they knew that the movie was just going to be what it was going to be. Yeah. I mean that that there's definitely some logic behind that reasoning, so it it would make total sense to kind of uh, take that approach and try to separate them when you have both when you have both projects presented to you simultaneously, and you're looking at one and looking at the other and trying to weigh what's our strategy. You know, what's our marketing strategy for this? Oh shit! I don't know if this movie's really going to connect to a wide audience in the way that Purple Rain did. Oof, what do we do? Yeah. Right. Yep. The thing about this song is it's fairly short. It's just a little over two minutes long, and there's not a lot of lyrics. So I think we've um, we've talked a lot about the uh, you know the forefront of the of it as a opening track to a soundtrack album, you know, the kind of feel of it. But from a lyrical standpoint, I think that um, We'll go through it, but I don't know. We'll, there, there's some interesting points we can make.
the first verse of the song starts off with everyone come behold Christopher Trace's parade the show will proceed unless it should rain strawberry lemonade hopefully that will not occur the man above has been paid give what you can all you can stand and all of your life will be made so that's the first of two verses in this song so I mean with this opening verse what are some of your thoughts on on this um, set of lyrics Julian so from a lyrical standpoint, this has one of my favorite parts in it, which is the show will proceed unless it should rain strawberry lemonade. And it's one of my favorites because I, it was later, even after I w- was listening to the album, that it really occurred for me or dawned on me what was being said. Comma placement was everything. And so for the longest I heard, the show will proceed unless it should rain. And then blah, blah, blah. I didn't, I didn't know what that part was. And I was too into the song as an experience to, to look it up. And so it was just, it wasn't, it wasn't until later when I realized he was saying, unless it should rain strawberry lemonade. And that made that verse so much more fun for me um, because it was such a bizarre concept, but it worked with this, this sort of festive, joyful celebration feel like even if it rains what's going to come down is going to be strawberry lemonade and then and then the idea that uh hopefully this won't happen because we've bribed god Mm -hmm. we've we've paid him off so maybe he won't put down the strawberry lemonade on us um it just it was it was fun it was irreverent it felt um in the visuals that I would create in my head for these songs when I would listen to them, he was literally in like with a big staff as a, as a, a, a not a majorette, but the, the person at the head of a marching band mm-hmm. and just sort of evoking celebration everywhere. Almost like, um, you remember that scene in Aladdin for Prince Ali, the way Jeannie yeah. looked at the beginning, it was that kind of feel except princeified in my head. And so, all of the lyrics made it, uh, it, it just all made it sound so fun. It was like, like I, I could feel him beckoning people down from their windows, from the street to all kind of follow behind him. And it, it was great. But honest to God, one of the reasons why, why I love this song is the strawberry lemonade line. It's just, <laughs> it tickles me. Yeah. It's very whimsical for sure. Um, and with that level of whimsy and then also just the way that the song is kind of structured in the lyrics. So under the cherry moon and parade, the parade album cover black and white under cherry the moon under the cherry moon. It's a black and white film. There's not a lot of literal color in any of the artwork associated with this album, the promotion of the album. It's very stark black and white as opposed to the previous album, Around the World in a Day, which had its very colorful, illustrated cover. And, you know, you have like the psychedelic kind of visuals that c- coincide with some of that. But this song, psychedelic and colorful, kind of fits more with the themes of Around the World in a Day than it does, it does. visual aesthetics behind Parade and Under the Cherry Moon. This is a very, like this first verse, evokes a lot of color when you when you hear the lyrics you think of strawberry lemonade you're thinking of you know the colors of strawberry lemonade the parade is very colorful with very colorful costumes and floats and all the stuff that goes along with the parade 
you don't you don't think of parades as being blah and and dull. Uh, they're festive, and festivities tend to have a lot of color. So I, I think that's just kind of a, an odd, uh, an odd way of of kind of approaching the lyrical standpoint for this opening song when it doesn't really fit visuals of this era. It yeah. seems like that was that that was intentional that he was giving the giving the project color through the music the yes. what's the what's the thing in the liner notes that he said to to the to the orchestrator it's something like thank you for making black and white brighter yes or making yeah brighter. i mean that's not maybe not exact words but yes it's essentially that yes yep so it's like it's like i i as much as I failed at the time to see the connection. I feel like he was really clear on what he was doing, that he was going to create something in stark black and white and then let music paint the color around it. It feels like a princey thing to do, mm-hmm. like to 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 kind of not impose upon the listener, but challenge the listener to see the color where it isn't there. But it definitely you're right. Like everything about the song is colorful. And if they had, if he had plucked this song out and stuck it on um, around the world in a day, it would not have felt incongruous to me at all. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with those weird sort of backward sounding drums and everything else, it would have been, it, it would have felt, it would have felt like the parade is what led you to get to Paisley Park in the first place. You, you follow the parade and then you're in Paisley Park. And of course it all makes sense. Mm-hmm. But um, but as it stands, as an introduction to this album, it is it's kind of shocking. Um, not shocking by by itself, but it if I listen when I listen to this, and I also listen to sometimes it snows in April, or um, under the cherry moon, don't feel like they belong where this song is. They don't. Like the they emotionally feel like they are cut from entirely different palettes, and um and so that makes it kind of weird. You it it sets you up, but then I don't I as much as I love songs on this album, I don't know if the album as a whole body fulfills what this set me up for. Well, it's funny you say that because under the cherry moon and sometimes it snows in April are two of the songs on this album that fit more with the narrative of the film because a lot of the album doesn't right a lot of the album doesn't um yeah they they shoehorned a lot of the songs into the film because this is a soundtrack and you need music behind a lot of the scenes but when you're talking about a lyrical standpoint and how the songs drive the the plot of the film sometimes it snows in april and under the cherry moon are like two of maybe two or three songs on this whole album that really kind of, Oh, that's a soundtrack song or that. I remember that scene in the movie because the lyrics are talking about something that occurs in the film, you know, related to the plot. And so for you to say that like those two songs don't really kind of set up or continue on with the, with the idea of what this album is presenting especially with the first four you know first two three songs yeah i i get that and i think that has a big i think that's a big reason why it gives me it gives me um like i believe 
I believe this song and life can be so nice. I believe they're connected. Like that feels right to me. I believe that um, this song and mountains that feels right to me. They feel like they're in the same space. I'll even say like new position I could see in the same world as this, but the other songs, yeah, they don't, they don't feel like they don't feel like they fulfill the promise that this song gave me except for, and I'm, I know I'm getting ahead of myself or I'm getting ahead of the show, but except for the weird dark turn that this song takes that happens really suddenly, it, at least it occurs as dark for me. I think you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Well, should we go on then and talk about that? Sure. Yeah. Whatever works for you. <laughs> okay. So the next, um, well, the next and really the only other verse of the song Everyone should come and dig Christopher Tracy's piano. The chord strikes, the devil no like, so he runs to his evil car. Everyone come behold Christopher Tracy's parade. Goodness will guide us if love is inside us. Christopher Tracy's parade. So before we get into this section of lyrics, I did want to point out this is where in the song, the original version, Little Girl's Little Girl Wendy's guitar is put in place of Christopher Tracy's piano. So normally or originally, I should say. Originally, the lyrics were, everyone should come and dig little girl Wendy's guitar. The chord strikes, the devil no like, so he runs to his evil car. Guitar and car rhyme. Piano and car don't rhyme. (laughs) (laughs) That makes more sense. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. That was the original lyrics. And then when he changed it to, he changed little girl Wendy's guitar to Christopher Tracy's piano. But there was no effort to change any of the rest of the lyrics in this verse to make it rhyme it just just left it as is and it's um you know i mean it whatever <laughs> it's it's a it's an artistic choice he made and and that's what we're left with but uh yeah so huh. for some reason now he's talking about well i mean he talked about god in the you know referred to god in the first verse with the man above has been paid and now he's talking about the devil the devil no like doesn't like music apparently come and dig christopher tracy's piano the chord strikes the devil no like which tells me the devil is uh in this song is is kind of cast away um by the sound of music and by the sound of you know the the joyous celebration that's occurring in this parade so he runs to his evil car he drives away (laughs) so the devil's got a car and he drives away and it's evil so that's just another like kind of whimsical um visual that we're given in this song of a little bit comical like you know the devil jumping into his evil car and driving away because he doesn't like the sound of the piano but it, around this time shortly after those lines the, the the song starts to kind of fall apart musically 
At least that's how I describe it. Because things yeah. start getting more chaotic. You know, it's a very clean structure of music up until then. And then all of a sudden, all these other, I don't know, just the, the music and the lyrics start to fall out of sync to me. And it, and it gets hectic and it gets chaotic and it starts to just kind of devolve until it just almost like runs out of gas. Um, so like with this section of lyrics, Julian, what, what do you like or what do you want to point out? So for me, um, the chord strikes the devil no like, so he runs to his evil car. What is it? 101 Dalmatians. There's a part where Cruella DeVille runs off the road. And the music and the, the freneticness of that is what I always see when the music changes here. Is this car, not just that he runs to the car, but that you said it, it kind of falls apart. It feels like the song is running off the road to me. Mm. And in the actual instrumentation, I'm pretty sure I hear like a car rooming in the background. You do. <laughs> okay. And <laughs> so like, it's just like, it's, it, it, it feels almost like, you know, they were having this wonderful parade and then like a bat out of hell, you know, whoever is represented as the devil. And in my head, for a lot of reasons that I can explain, if you want, it's always Morris day, Morris day in some sort of a roadster comes ripping through the parade and runs off the road and scatters everybody. And it's this chaos and distress. And they're still trying to keep the parade going in the midst of that. So while, you know, while the concern in the first verse was, hopefully it doesn't rain strawberry lemonade. The thing that actually ends up messing up the parade and, and, and derailing the parade was the music that didn't necessarily invoke the devil, but sent the devil scattering. And that's what broke up the parade. See, i I saw that as a weird sort of why, like you were worried about the wrong thing. You were all worried about, you know, a little bit of rain, but you didn't even think about the fact that the devil might come through and wreck this whole thing. And the visuals that I have in my head around this are kind of distressing. Like this, this makes the song take a really, really dark turn for me, but I didn't understand why like this for, for as much story as this kind of crams into these short little two verses, as much emotional story, if not narrative story, I didn't understand what the point was. Um, especially with this serving as sort of the introduction to the album. Maybe, maybe it makes more sense if you think of it as the overture remember in, in old silver, you know, silver screen classic films, the overture to the film would really give you the the mood swings of the film's story. And given that he seemed to be reaching back to that with um with what he was doing cinematically with Under the Cherry Moon, I'm now wondering if this is exactly what that was. If this was if this was a convenient way to to twist the the sort of the narratives of the of the movie's arc into the musicality. I don't know. I'm literally just sort of thinking this out loud. Um, but at the time, you know, previously listening to this, it was just kind of like, why did this have to go there? I was so enjoying the brightness and the buoyancy and the vibrance of this. 
I also always had a problem with the devil no like. I don't I don't like that figure I don't I don't like that figure of speech or that me no likey or something <laughs> something no like. I don't know why. It just irritates the crap out of me. And I was like, he's so much better with words than that to to make that choice. Yeah. You just wonder if he if it was done because because of the the song structure and you know, if you're trying to think of how else to rephrase it adding superfluous words just didn't work because he needed to have it fit a certain time structure or something. I don't know. No, it's, it's weird and it's not obviously proper grammar and it doesn't really match a lot of the, the words that were already spoken because it's not like this is a common theme in this song. All the rest of the lyrics are, you know, eloquently written and there's, you know, the, the kind of um, the wordplay is there and you've got nice language being used to kind of give us a picture, paint us a picture. Then the devil no like it is, it is a little, it little feels juvenile ish. I think. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It, I mean, it's very juvenile by just because of the way it, when you think of people talking like that, it's almost considered baby talk. That's kind of like what it's called, which might've fit better if it was little girl, Wendy's parade. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. yeah, I'm thinking now that, you, now that you mention it, if the point, if, if I had encountered this for the first time in life as little girl, Wendy's parade, and then, and it's right after, uh, everyone should come and hear little girl, Wendy's guitar, the chord strikes, the devil no like that doesn't, that for some reason doesn't bother me so much. But yeah. And that's maybe the problem with sometimes, um, repurposing songs for a different reason than it was originally intended is then you kind of lose some of the original intent so when it was written yeah i mean little girl wendy that's you get you get a visual of a a child you know um you get a visual of a child and then with child comes with more childish talk and juvenile language but then when you change it to christopher tracy who is a full-grown man in, in the movie he's an adult right now that 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 wording that phrasing doesn't fit anymore but you know, obviously he didn't make an effort to change the rhyme pattern to rhyme anything with piano. And he made no effort to change the, you know, the, this entire lyric, this whole verse, except for Christopher Tracy's piano to, from little girl, Wendy's guitar. And and maybe a little more, maybe he could have spent a little more time doing that to make it sound less weird and have it rhyme if you wanted to rhyme and take that line out and use something else. But obviously that was not, important enough to him to make those changes in this song. And so he left it as is. And that's what we're left with. Thinking about this song as little girl, Wendy's parade really does make it feel different. And I, you have given me a quest for the rest of, for the start of this week is I have to find that little girl, Wendy's parade version somewhere. I know somebody has it. Um, I have it. So you have, I mean, Oh, well that's a much easier <laughs> quest. I will, I will email you after this. Broadcast. Yep. <laughs> You will have a copy of it today <laughs> because I have got to hear that. But like it, it really does contextualize this whole song differently for me. Strawberry lemonade makes perfect sense in little girl, Wendy's parade. Like it's not, it's not even that it's, it's less whimsical in as much as it doesn't occur as such an outlier. Right. Um, everything about this feels big and grand and festive and celebratory. But then even the name Christopher Tracy just felt felt grown up it felt grown up if you know 
a little bit Gatsby-ish to me, but I don't think I knew Gatsby at the time, but the idea of that same kind of character. Um, but when you say little, but if you sing this song as little girl, Wendy's parade, strawberry lemonade feels less whimsical because it feels appropriate Mm -hmm. for the parade thrown by little girl, Wendy or celebrating little girl, Wendy, as opposed to a parade thrown by or in honor of Christopher Tracy. Um, yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's like, what is strawberry lemonade doing there? That should be champagne. That should absolutely be champagne. And it exactly in that far off of the rhyme scheme. Why didn't he do that? Um, but looking at it with the childlike, the sort of childlike sense of wonder and whimsy makes all of it feel a little bit more normal. And when it's, when it's normal, it's, it doesn't bother me as much when we get to things like the chord strikes, the devil no like, but it also is a little bit less interesting to me. Like it, it's, once you sort of normalize it through, well, this is kind of a kid-like song in a kid-like world with kid-like whimsy, I'm less drawn to what it does. The performance of it, the the bigness of it, the grandeur, the brightness feel like they're supposed to be there as opposed to, oh, this is interestingly different. I, I did want to say, too, and I, I don't know if this is too off topic, I did not know. I was today years old when I learned that it was give what you can, all you can stand, and all of your life will be made. I have thought all the way up until today that it was get what you can. And that's a shift in meaning for me. Like that, the the idea that that's give what you can, I don't know if it's like donations to to the parade, like it's like free admission. Um, and we've had our discussions before about admission and, and the cost of it for, for Prince's uh, various, oh, you know, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but give what you can. I don't know if that's an admission thing or if it's saying do as much as you can, but that line does become more interesting to me now that I know that it's cause I, you know, it was get what you can. I've kind of thought it was sort of a free for all running in the streets, probably candy coming down from the sky. Everybody get gather what you can give what you can makes it a lot more. I I'm going to think about that more now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we kind of glossed over that section of the first verse, but yeah, right. I mean, depending on what you hear, obviously, one a change in one word can make a, a huge impact and a huge difference in what you're taking out of that line or in those pieces, in you know, those lines together. Give what you can versus get what you can. So, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. I mean, I think with that, for me, give what you can, all you can stand, and all your life will be made. It kind of feels more like, you know, it's 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 a bit it's a bit more. Uh, you know, I guess altruistic is a is a word I've used before to kind of explain somebody whose giving nature is then self fulfilling. You know, that there's no real uh, there's there's no selfish motivations for any of the 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 goodness that this person has. It's um, all of your life will be made. This will provide enough. Um, being that kind of giving person will provide enough. Uh, in your life to make it fulfilling and make you feel like you've lived a life worth living and sharing with others and, um, versus get what you can. Yeah. It does have a little more of a, I don't want to say selfish, but it, it, depending on the context, I guess, like, it, it, like you said, in a parade context, 
yeah, you know, all the kids are running around trying to grab the candy that's just thrown randomly out at the off the street. So there's really there's no giving there. It's it's all about getting. It's like you know, all, same with like a pinata filled with candy. You hit the pinata, and then the candy goes flying, and all the kids exactly. scramble to get what they can and gather what they can, because that's the that's the rules that we have established as a society for these types of events. There is there is no rule like okay. Pinata flies open. One kid stands in line, grabs a piece of candy. Next kid, go grab a piece of candy. And right. that, that's not what we teach our kids with parades or any of those types of things. It's literally get what you can. And that is acceptable. You know, that is an acceptable behavior in those scenarios. At least in our society, it's deemed acceptable. So, yeah, it's I get that. And um, it does make a big difference to how you hear that for sure. The first part of that line, give what you can changes the impact of the last part of your line and all of your life will be made. This idea that the way to live, giving everything that you can, all you can stand, like it's a, it's a very different call to action. I, the more I'm looking at it and thinking about it, the more I'm like, holy crap, that's a, a much bigger line now because it's, it's, it's suggesting to you that the more you give, give an, almost literally until it hurts that all you can stand. So to a threshold of, I can't give anymore, give to that point and all of your life will be made. Like that's some, that's some Zen Buddhist hyper Christian. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's some real hardcore stuff right there, which now again, changes the context of the bribe to God. (laughs) So what was before for me a little bit funnier, a little bit like, oh, haha, you know, we paid off God, so he's not going to rain strawberry lemonade. That to realize that that line follows the man above has been paid. Give what you can. That's now I'm thinking that's part of the payment to God. So it's really it, it almost sounds like a life of sacrifice. This makes give makes this feel so much more mature than get. And in my heart of hearts, if I'm being honest, even though I'm very intrigued by what this feels like for me now, get is more fun. And I kind of wish it said get. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of <laughs> like the version that I've lived with my whole life better. Get what you can. All you can say is it just feels like more fun. And it lends itself to, you know, the, the as much of the, the lightness and whimsy as this song bears before we get into the sort of weird darkness. Can I ask you about something that I'm noticing in the in the beginnings of the three the three lines with everyone? Sure. So we start with everyone come behold. And that, you know, big grand language sets up the tone, feels right. We end with everyone come behold again. In the middle, everyone should come and dig. It becomes it, it becomes a much less um, it becomes a lot more colloquial in the middle, which is around oh. the same time that we get to the devil no like. Mm-hmm. So what's kind of funny is as the you mentioned that the the music and the lyrics kind of break up, like they're kind of they they start to to break down. And if you look at the strong at the, at the song sort of in those three chunks with everyone being a bookmark, just when the language kind of breaks down into this perhaps overly simplistic and for, you know, even though we know how he arrived there, not even rhyming, uh, 
you know, sort of off scheme. And even the, so he runs to his evil car feels kind of crammed in when you listen to how he sings it. The, so he is kind of tucked underneath so that he can like all of it's falling apart and the grammar falling apart starts at the beginning. We're no longer beholding. It's no longer big and grand. It's sort of this lazy, less important sounding way to approach what comes next. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. And now once you say that, and I'm thinking, okay, so with this all falling apart, and now we have like this devil that has run off in his evil car, and you know, you do hear the car kind of screeching, um, like somebody's accelerating, you know, trying to get away, but also you can interpret that as and you know, where the darkness comes as if that car is kind of like barreling through this parade trying to basically fuck things up. <laughs> you know, and yeah. trying to ruin this this wonderful parade that's occurring because you know that's what the devil's supposed to do he's supposed to to ruin things for us and um and what i kind of get now from the last section of lines everyone returning back to that language and the more proper english speak of everyone come behold christopher tracy's parade goodness will guide us if love is inside us which i have a comment about that in a minute but now it almost feels like somebody like the the parade master or somebody in charge is trying to, I don't know, um, kind of control things or trying to calm everybody down, yeah. uh, with this, all this chaos around, like everything's okay. You know, come behold the parade. Goodness will guide us. If love is inside us, don't worry about what's happening with this devil running amok in our parade. And it's, it's okay. It's okay. We will. And you almost wonder if it's being done that way because there's an intent to, calm people down when there's really a lot of uh of chaos and, and violence occurring or it because the music behind it doesn't sound like it's everything's under control no. <laughs> that's for sure it sounds like almost somebody's trying to gain regain control of the lyrically regain control even though the music is completely out of control and um that's just a little bit of the you know what i what i get from that now when you talk about how in the middle it's the language changes completely and it turns a lot more juvenile a lot less um formally structured so yeah interesting and i think i i think you're right like i i feel the same way that you do about it sort of being like a, a trying to reassure a scattered and and terrified people that things are going to that things are going to work out especially again with the way that the car comes barreling through the parade cuz that's that's to me when i hear the the horns like that the way that it breaks down feels like if a marching band were trying to continue playing while dodging some you know somebody running through them or or some danger in their path that's my, what it might sound like but when we get to this part, the, we still have that same sort of discordant, almost looking for the right notes sound in the music. And the tempo starts to slow. Now, again, for me, this is another one of those I was today years old. All I took away from the song before this lyrical analysis with you was it kind of falls apart and breaks down and gets all mushy. Um, so goodness will guide us if love is inside us. Yeah. Today years old when I knew that those were the words, it was always good. Inside, 
that's what it was to me. And I was okay with that because Prince making those noises sounds great. Um, but what, what, where we end up at the end of the song as the, as the tempo slows and as he repeats Christopher Tracy's parade, it feels by the end just shy of defeated resigned maybe but the way he says the last christopher tracy's parade is not anywhere near the kind of joy and jubilation and celebration that we get with everyone should come behold christopher tracy's parade that's exhaled with like bravado and full chest and the last christopher tracy's parade is almost like the last breath spent Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, again, he tried to reclaim it. He's trying to give you this sort of hopeful, positive goodness will guide us if love is inside us and, and trying to restore the grandness of everyone come behold. But, um, by the time it's over, it doesn't feel like there's anything left to behold. It feels like something, you know, there was something great once, but it got messed up, got fucked up. And now we've got the the remnants or or sort of the you know the the parade in shambles and just the way that it the way that he utters that last that last iteration of christopher tracy's parade sounds so sad to me one thing i did want to also mention about these last lines where it says goodness will guide us if love is inside us which to your point isn't super clear to hear when you're just listening to it without the lyric sheet in front of you or without any kind of you know, lyrics, uh, written lyrics to kind of guide you as to what he's saying. It's interesting because those exact lines are in the song, All My Dreams. So All My Dreams is a former Vault track. It was officially released finally on the Sign of the Times Super Deluxe Edition that came out this this fall. And the story behind All My Dreams is that it was originally written in 85, in April of 1985, the same month this song was written and recorded, Christopher Tracy's Parade. And it's um, it was earmarked to be on the Parade album. And um, for whatever reason, Prince decided to remove it. Either didn't think it fit properly the, uh, the the structure of the album, the flow of the album, the narrative of the movie, whatever. For whatever reason, he removed all my dreams from the track listing of Parade. So in this song, which is the opener, he says, "Goodness will guide us if love is inside us." And towards the end of all my dreams, he repeats that line. It, you know, it kind of um, it begins. What I envision all my dreams is it sounds like a very final song. It has like a it's very epic in, in scale and scope. To me, it sounds like the last track on whatever album it's ever going to be on. It ended up not being the last track on the vault tracks and sign of the times. But I envisioned it almost like being bookends, like that line being on the first track of Parade 
and then mm-hmm. repeating that line on what I thought or what might have been the last track on Parade if it was left on there. It was removed, so you know that 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 synergy never occurred. You know, when having that bookend of this line repeated, "Goodness will guide us if love is inside us." So he must have felt strongly enough about this as a concept. These lines as kind of like a way of expressing the intent of what he was trying to convey with whatever project he had this in mind for in spring of 1985 before it morphed into under the cherry moon soundtrack under the cherry moon based music uh so i'd just be interested to to kind of get a feel for what or it'd be interesting to know what he had in mind for this what he had originally envisioned in the spring of 1985 to include these lines on two songs that were intended for this album and then remove it and completely change kind of like how it's it's usefulness in the song um but i i know that people are gonna you know think of this if they bought the sign of the time super deluxe or if they had heard all my dreams before those lines will be recognizable because of you know being part of that song for all these years and i didn't make the connection even though i had heard all my year all my dreams for years now i didn't make the connection until i started going through the lyrics because like you the goodness will guide us if love is inside us lines in christopher tracy's parade weren't that clear to me um and it wasn't something that i was all like i needed to know what he was saying there because to me it wasn't as relevant it wasn't as important right. what was important to me was the song structure was um collapsing on itself and he was just kind of sounding a little bit defeated as the song wore on as you mentioned already especially with that last singing of christopher tracy's parade he just like it's like you said he's kind of exhaling and it's like ah christopher tracy's parade (laughs) just like he doesn't even believe it anymore like right believe what he's saying like this was supposed to be a celebration and now look what it's turned into and he wants to, you know, to, to tell us, goodness will guide us if love is inside us. That's a that's a nice sentiment. Um, I mean, it's a really, it's a really good sentiment if you believe it and you follow through with it. Uh, and to end an album with that same line with on a song, uh, kind of reiterates and punctuates that point. If that was how it ended up working out for for us as you know, listeners of his music, but it didn't, it didn't. So now the, the, the two songs are, and I always felt like all my dreams, I don't know why they included that on the sign of the time, super deluxe to me, that belongs with a parade deluxe edition. It's a, for me, it's a parade era song. And that kind of just reiterates my feelings. It sounds like it belongs more in this era than it does sign of the times, but yeah, the estate decided to include it with the sign of the times deluxe because they basically took all of those dream factory crystal ball era songs and decided to dump them all on a sign of the times super deluxe edition. I'm not mad at him for it, but it's just to me, it sh- it belonged on a parade deluxe. My opinion. Are there plans to do a parade deluxe? Hopefully, hopefully I think there's, sh- there's still an, in my opinion, there's still enough stuff out there because you know, there's outtakes, there's things like little girl, little girl wendy's guitar that have never officially seen the light of day that people would love to have there are other songs that were kind of written around this time um 85 what would have been on dream factory or some sort of other collection of music stuff that had been ideas for parade but then ended up being removed i think there's enough it would never be like this massive 
you know, eight disc set that we ended up getting for like sign of the times, but there's enough, there's enough, I think, in my opinion, and even just outtakes different alternate versions of these songs. Some of the songs without the, the orchestral arrangements on them and they're more raw, pure form would be interesting to listen to. All right, Julian. So we have covered all of the lyrics to Christopher Tracy's parade. There's not a lot of them, but we sure found a way to talk about what's going on in the song. I think it's fascinating how we are able to kind of go in different uh, different um, paths and patterns with this track, identifying different ways of interpreting lyrics, identifying different ways of kind of establishing what um, you know what kind of stories attempting to be told here, putting some visuals behind the lyrics. Uh, I really think. I think we covered everything that I had in my notes. I don't know if you had any other final thoughts you wanted to convey. No, I think we covered everything. I'm, I'm excited now because I have, you know, two new considerations for this. I've got the, the whole benevolence, give what you can thing that I'll spend some time messing with. And soon I'll get a chance to listen to the little girl, Wendy version of that. I'm, I'm hype, but I have nothing else to add to this. Okay. Excellent. Well, I will give you an opportunity now to talk a little bit about what you're doing with uh, Storytime with Julian. Why don't you share with with the listeners what that's all about? Thanks so much. So every Tuesday and Thursday on Facebook Live, on YouTube, and even on Periscope on Twitter, I host a um, reading show, a reading and analysis show called Storytime with Julian. And we read uh, between one and three pieces of black short fiction Contemporary black authors usually, though sometimes we'll go back and pull a little from, you know, like Zora Neale Hurston or uh, Langston Hughes. And I, it's a performance reading. So not I'm not just narrating, but character voices and, and, you know, full embodiment of the characters. I usually do it as a cold read. So I will be reading the works for the first time, performing them live during the stream. And then afterwards, I have a little bit of discussion with whoever is attending live. They post their questions. I pop them up on the screen. Uh, We've been doing this since March, and it's been growing slowly and steadily, and I'm really excited. Just recently, we had our first um, event called Wordplay, where we had two authors, Rihanna Amilcar Scott and Nana Kwame Ajebrenya. These are award-winning authors, New York Times bestsellers, who um, who were there on hand to respond to each other's pieces head to head where I had already previously recorded the pieces and um, and we would play them sort of like verses, but for black literature. And uh, it was a really, really great show, really exciting time. And we, we're planning on doing another one with some other uh, authors. We're still working out the details on lining that up. But if anyone is interested, you can find Storytime with Julian uh, across pretty much most of the social media platforms. At Twitter, we're at Storytime Julian. On Instagram, also at Storytime Julian. On YouTube, just go to youtube.com forward slash Storytime with Julian. You'll find us there. And on Facebook, same deal, facebook.com forward slash Storytime with Julian. Make sure that you go to YouTube to like and subscribe and mash on that bell button so that you get updates. But every Tuesday and Thursday at 10 p.m. Eastern, we're going to be doing live readings. And so uh, hopefully you'll uh, you'll sign up and we'll get a chance to we'll get a chance to chop it up. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing with that. And of course, as always, thank you for joining me today. I think this episode exceeded my expectations um, and, and, and always possible in terms of content, in terms of um, 
lyrical breakdown in terms of uh, deciphering uh, the story behind it and, and all, all, obviously the visuals as well. We we really hopefully did did the song justice because it's a great opening track. I enjoy it a lot. I enjoy the Parade album tremendously. And um, every single episode for this album, I'm looking forward to recording because I just love this album. I love, I love everything about the music behind it as well. So thanks again, Julian. Oh, more than my pleasure. Thanks again for having me. Anytime, of course. So this has been the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics podcast. I've been your host, Jason Brenninger. And you can find uh, the show um, basically anywhere that you find podcasts, available Apple and Spotify and um, Stitcher, you, you name it, it, it. You can you can find it. Also, I can find the show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I have a um, social media presence there. Just look for Press Rewind Pod or Press Rewind Podcast. And I also recently launched a Discord for the show. So look for the the link to that Discord in any of the show notes and also any of my social media pages. You can find it there as well. I look forward to having people join. We can talk about prints and talk about lyrics and talk about whatever you want to talk about. It's an open conversation and it's real time. So looking forward to having more people join me on that Discord so we can have a real-time discussion I, I i love talking with the listeners and love discussing anything prince you know i can talk about the man and his music <laughs> basically anytime so i've got a whole podcast dedicated to it so should be obvious so thanks to everyone and until next time goodbye <laughs>